What do you do when the boss isn't looking? Children, what do you do when your parents aren't looking? Husbands, what do you do when your wives are out of town and they've left you a honeydew list? When I was in college, I worked for a company that installed office furniture, and so we would often get dropped off at an empty office building with a truckload of furniture with instructions to start installing cubicles and desks and hang wall hangers and all these other things, and oftentimes a supervisor would drop us off, uh, he'd leave us materials, he'd leave us instructions, and then he would go off and check on other jobs. Now, some of the gentlemen that I worked with, for them, they were not particularly invested in the company. Uh, For them, it was nothing more than a paycheck, and they got the same hourly wage whether they installed 100 cubicles or 50. And so oftentimes, when the boss drove away, these gentlemen would take some time to catch up on a nap or to run some errands or to shoot the breeze with one another. Now, my parents had had taught me better than that, and usually one of the other uh, younger uh, people and I would, would do whatever work we could, although we were pretty young, we weren't as skilled as the rest. But every once in a while, I will admit that it, it got, I got a little jealous of the guys who were sitting around getting paid doing nothing. And I will admit that every once in a while, I got tempted to just sit around and not do much when the boss wasn't around and enjoy in the conversation and all the other things. I'm not proud of it, but I did it. And so sometimes, you know, we can probably relate. You probably know somebody who in the past, when, when the boss wasn't looking, when the teacher wasn't looking, decided to take a little break and and to not do what they were instructed to do. And so we're going to look at a story today that Jesus tells about a similar type situation. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, we'll start in verse 11. Uh, As always, if you uh, don't have your Bibles, I'll have the text here on the screen as well. Uh, So here's how, uh, here's the background to this story. This is uh, written again by a man named Luke who told us he investigated the claims of Jesus very carefully so that we could know for sure, for certain the things that we've been taught about him. So this is the background Luke gives us to the story Jesus is going to tell. Here's what Luke says. While they were listening, there was a crowd there, much like this, listening to Jesus teach. While they were listening, he, meaning Jesus, went on to tell them a parable. Now we've been talking about parables a little bit the past few weeks. Parables were stories with a point. Jesus often taught in parables because he had an audience that uh, didn't have, you know, notebooks like we have notebooks. They didn't have cell phones like we have cell phones to take notes or to take pictures of the screen. They didn't have pocket Bibles that they could open up and read along. Those things hadn't been invented yet. And so Jesus would often teach in parables because parables would help his audience understand the point that he was trying to make. So parables were not there just for the sake of being entertaining, although they were often entertaining. But stories help us to remember. Uh, When you were growing up, you probably heard Aesop's fables or other fables that were stories with animals who did silly things, and and these silly things were designed to teach you a point. Well, Jesus used a similar technique in parables. He would tell a story, and the story would help these people understand something about the kingdom of God or help them understand something about the spiritual life or help them understand a moral lesson in a new way, and it would help them remember later on. We tend to remember stories better than we remember uh, just plain facts. So Jesus begins to tell them a parable, and here's how he started. And here's why. This is why he began to tell them a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. 
So he was near Jerusalem. The time of his death is coming up. We're going to get into that in the next couple of weeks. But the people he was with had this misunderstanding about the kingdom of God. They believed that the kingdom of God was going to appear all at one time, that God was going to come in and rescue the world all at one time. And and as we've seen in Jesus' life, what people expected to happen isn't exactly what was going to happen. And so Jesus uses this opportunity. He uses this misunderstanding that they have to help correct them and help give them a correct understanding of the kingdom of God. Now, there are Christians today who misunderstand the kingdom of God in a similar way. There are Christians today who believe that God is, you know, Jesus is going to come back in the future, and until then, we don't really need to do anything. That the kingdom of God is going to come all at once, and that all we need to do is believe the right things, and if, if we just say the right prayer, then we've got our fire insurance, so to speak, and then when the kingdom comes, everything will be good. But in the meantime, we're just kind of waiting. And so there's a similar misunderstanding about the kingdom of God in some, some circles of Christianity today. So, because Jesus' audience misunderstood the kingdom of God, he took this as an opportunity to tell them a parable, to help them understand what the kingdom of God was really like. So here's how he begins the story. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king, and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Now, a mina is an ancient measure of money. A mina was worth about a hundred denarii, a hundred denarii. And if you remember, a denarius was equivalent to about one day's wage. So if you worked for a day, if you were a day laborer, you would make one denarius. Well, if you had a hundred denarii, you could turn it in, trade it up for a mina. So uh, Jesus takes 10 of his servants and he gives each of them a uh, mina. And he says, put this money to work. He gives them materials, and he gives them instruction. Put this money to work until I come back. Now remember, this is a parable about the kingdom of God, right? Jesus isn't talking about, you know, how to be a smart financial investor. That's not the point of this parable. He's he's using this to to teach a greater truth about the kingdom of God. And so many times in Jesus' parables, the characters in the story represent some character in real life. In this particular case, he's talking about a nobleman who is going away to be made king and then will return at some time in the future. Does that sound familiar? Jesus is referring to himself in this parable. So he's, he's using this to illustrate what the, kingdom of life, what the kingdom of God is going to be like and his role in it. So he's saying there's a nobleman who's leaving to become king. He's going to come back. While he's gone, he's leaving his servants with materials and instructions. He's giving them a job to do while he is away. And he tells them to take this money and put it to work. The story goes on. He was made king and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. So he gave them instructions, and then when he came back, he's going to call them to account for how well they carried out his instructions and used what he had left them to use. And so what I want, he was going to keep them accountable. And a lot of times in our language, in our culture, accountability uh, is sort of a a four-letter word, kind of like discipline, right? Discipline and accountability are are terms that we don't particularly care for very much because they they hold us, it's uncomfortable for a time. But what I want you to understand, accountability is a good thing. Accountability really is a good thing. Let me give you a couple examples. Most of you know that I am in the United States Army as a chaplain with the Indiana National Guard. 
as a member of the United States Army, I am expected to uphold certain levels of physical fitness. And so every year, I am called to account for how well I am maintaining my physical fitness by taking the Army Physical Fitness Test, the APFT. So every year, I have to take this APFT. It holds me accountable to make sure that I'm upholding a certain level of fitness. Now, here's the thing about the APFT. I guarantee you that I exercise more now that I know that I'm going to have to take a test than I would if I didn't have a test coming up. So in this case, accountability is a really good thing for me. It helps me do what I should be doing already. Accountability is a good thing. Uh, other things, diet programs. One of the best weight loss programs out there to this day is still Weight Watchers. Do you know why? Because there's accountability in the program. When people go to the group and you have to weigh yourself in front of other people, you know, during the week you really ask yourself, do I want to eat this ice cream cone? Because later in the week I'm going to have to weigh myself in front of other people. Right? So this, the, the accountability group helps people do what they should be doing anyway. This is true also with addictions. People who are addicted to alcohol or narcotics, these addiction groups, these 12-step programs, work really well because there's accountability. You have a sponsor who keeps you accountable to do what you're supposed to do. So in this parable, Jesus is telling about this master who's going to come back and hold his servants to account for what he asked them to do. Remember, this is a parable about the kingdom of God. You probably see where this is going. As we continue in the story, Jesus says, The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. In other words, this servant took the, the mina he was given and he invested it, he used it wisely, and he was able to multiply the money that the master had left him, and, and, and he was able to do good work. He multiplied it ten times. The master replies, Well done, my good servant. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, take charge of ten cities. Now last week we looked at Jesus talking about how those who are faithful in small things will be faithful in great things. Those who are able to take care of worldly things will be given much more reward uh, in eternity. And so we see a parallel here. When Jesus is talk this, this, in this parable, Jesus is saying that the servant who was faithful with the small amount that he had been given could then be trusted and had greater reward later on. Uh, in other words, there's an impact to how well we utilize what we've been given in this life. Jesus continues the parable. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master said, You take charge of five cities. In other words, he uh, invested it well, he multiplied it, and, and his reward was great. The story continues. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. Singular. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. Why would he do that? He explains. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and you reap what you did not sow. In other words, this particular servant believed or claimed to believe that his master was a hard or a harsh master who uh, would punish him if he failed to, to put the money to work. And so uh, what we're going to see is that he had a misunderstanding of his master, and this misunderstanding resulted in fear. And his fear resulted in inaction. A misunderstanding resulted in fear, which resulted in inaction. That's one possible explanation. The other is maybe 
That was just an excuse. As we're going to see in the next verse, the master probably wasn't a hard, harsh master. Uh, This is probably just an excuse by this uh, servant to not do anything. So either he's actually afraid uh, because of misunderstanding or he's using this as an excuse. But you're going to see why uh, I think it might be an excuse in the next verse. Uh, The master goes on. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow. In other words, I think what the master is saying here is, um, you know better than that. You really know that I'm not a hard master, uh, but you're saying that as an excuse to, uh, for why you didn't do what I told you to do. But I'll go ahead and I'll use your own words against you. If you really believed, the master says, if you really believed that I was such a hard master, if you really believed that was true, he goes on, why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? In other words, he's saying, if you really believed that I was such a hard master, you would have at least done something. You would have at least done the minimum rather than just sit on it the entire time that I was gone. And so I think he's challenging the servant to say, you really know better. You know that I'm not that hard of a master. You know that I I gave you what you needed and, and what you needed to succeed, and you just didn't do anything with it. You just sat on what I left you. So here's the consequence. Then he said to those standing by, you take his mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Jesus is taking from the one who didn't do anything with it, and he was giving to the one who was already fruitful. Which makes sense, right? I mean, even in our, uh, in our worldly investments, if we invest somewhere and we're trying to make money, then we're going to take what we've invested somewhere. If it's not making any money, we're going to put it in an account that makes money, right? If, if we understand this from a worldly basis, this is what Jesus is saying is like in the kingdom of God. Those who are faithful to do what God has called them to do, God will give more responsibility to So, I know what you're all asking. You're all asking, what in the world is the moral of this story? What in the world is the moral of this story? Here's what it is. Make as much money as you can. Oh, you guys know better, don't you? You know better. This is not the moral of the story. Jesus is not telling people to make as much money as they can. Here's the moral of the story. Everything we have, Everything we have, our time, our money, our energy, our gifts, our abilities, our talents, everything we have is a trust. It's on loan to us from God, and he expects to put them to use in his service. Everything we have, our time, our energy, our finances, our gifts and abilities. And you all have these things. You all have been created. You've been given by God with unique giftings, unique abilities. We as a church have been uh, called to steward a building and a, and a fund and the abilities and the, the gifts that we have in this church. And God expects us to use them and to put them to work in his kingdom. And now, if we look at the story, we need to ask ourselves if Jesus were to come back today and call us to account for how well we've been using what he's entrusted us to do, I want you to ask that question. If Jesus were to come back today and call you to account for how well you've been investing the time and the talent and the ability and the resources that he's given you into the kingdom of God, would you be the servant who he gives more to because you've increased it tenfold? Or would, we be the, would I be the servant that he says, you know, you wicked servant, you should have known better, you should have at least done something. So here's, here's what I want to, to get at with this. Because if we think about it wrong, we can 
view this as a burden. We can look at it as this heavy responsibility. But really, I think if we look at this correctly, we're going to understand that this is, this is a blessing. And it's not a burden. And here's why. Raise your hand if you want your life to have purpose. Everybody wants their life to have purpose. Everybody wants their life to have meaning. Everybody wants to be a part of something that's bigger than themselves. Everybody wants to to be known for something, to to do well. Most people, I believe everybody, deep within themselves, wants to, to have a life that's filled with purpose and filled with meaning. And so when we think about it this way, what we've been given is not a chore, it's not a burden, it's a blessing from God. The God of the universe has chosen to invite us to participate in the kingdom of God. And I think that's pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool. If the President of the United States called you tomorrow and said, hey, I have a project for you to do. I would like for you to to be a special team member on this project. Or if not this president, then one that you like. Um, I saw some looks in the audience when I said that. Or, or, you know, or whomever, the the governor of the state, the, the mayor of the city. If somebody of prominence called you up and said, I have a job for you to do and resources to do it with, wouldn't you view that as an honor? You wouldn't say, oh, that's such, a, that's such a burden. Oh, that's such a chore. It would be an honor. The God of the universe has called us, he's invited us to participate with him in his mission, in his kingdom, to set the world to right while he's away. That's pretty special. He, he didn't have to do it that way. He could have chosen to, to work a different way. He could have given the, the, the mission and the message and the ministry to the angels. Right? He could have given it to somebody else. He chose to partner with us, to make us. We are the, the body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. While he is away, we function in his stead. The reason that we have Christ within us, Scripture tells us, is so that we can all do the things that Jesus did. And there's lots of little Jesuses running around now doing the things that Jesus did. That's what it means to be a Christian, to be a little Christ running around doing the things that Jesus did. That's what we're invited to participate in. And so, yes, we will be called to account for how well we stored it, but it's not a chore. It's not a burden. It's, it's an incredible honor. And it's incredible privilege that God would choose little old us, little old us here in Bloomington, Indiana, to be his representatives here on earth, to, to serve his mission, to take care of the people that he loves. What an honor. And he's given you gifts. He's given you talents. He's given you abilities. He's given you resources to steward. As a church, we have gifts and talents and abilities. We have resources and a building. And we have a mission. And, and we're going to be called to account for how well we sorted it, but that's not a burden. It's a blessing. So here's the bottom line. Here's what I want you to remember. Do something. Do something. The worst thing we can do is nothing. The worst thing we can do is just sit on what we've been given and do nothing with it. And I don't have a text for this, but I believe this to be true. I believe that it would be better for us to do something and fail rather than do nothing and fail. I really believe that. Because when I look at Scripture, when I see the people that that God really honors, it's the ones who took crazy steps of faith, who stepped out, if, if God didn't show up, they were going to fail. And sometimes they did, and yet we're still telling their story two, three thousand years later. And so... The tendency can be, well, we're, we're not going to do anything because we're afraid that if we do something and it doesn't work, then we're not going to have it. But what if we took the mindset that, here's me personally, 
I would rather try to do something spectacular and go down in spectacular flames in a massive failure that everybody sees than to quietly fail doing nothing. I would. I'd rather step out there and really you know, put my faith in God and try something big and spectacular, and then if it blows up and it's a spectacular failure, well, then we can laugh about it. But I, I believe that's more honoring to God than sitting around and doing nothing. When we look at this parable, when we look at Jesus explaining what the kingdom of God is like, he's telling us that as the king, he's going away for his coronation, and he's going to come back. And in the meantime, he's given us resources, and he's asked us to use them to go to work in his kingdom, to to work in his stead, to continue the work that he began. And so when we get there, when we get to the end, if Jesus was to come back, I want every one of us to be able to hear, well done, my good servant. Well done, my good servant. Well done, my good servant. Well done, Stony Brook Church. You really tapped into what it was that I asked you to do. You used what I, what I gave you, and you invested it in the kingdom of God. Well done, my servants. The worst thing for me as your pastor would be for, for when Jesus comes back to say, you know, and all I can say is, well, here it is. Here's, we sat on it. We didn't lose it. We sat on it. Right? That's, that's, the, that's the very worst thing that we could do. So for you as individuals and for us as a church, let's do something. Let's try something. And if we fail, we fail and we'll learn from it. But let's do something. You, in your life, as you follow Jesus, do something. If you're not doing anything, start small. But do something. If you're already doing something, then do more. Do something else. But do something. I'd rather fail by trying to do something, than fail by doing nothing at all. This is what Jesus calls us to do. He calls us to be invested. I started out this series by asking, what if we had it all backwards? What if in our understanding of investments, where we invest for our own gain and our own profit, what if we have it all backwards? What if what we've been called to do is to invest it in something else, in something bigger than us, in something that's not going to necessarily pay us back financial dividends, but is going to have eternal ramifications. And so I'm going to close with the same question that I asked you in the first sermon in this series. What are you invested in? Where are you invested? Where is your time? Where is your energy? Where is your money? Where are your gifts and your talents and your abilities? Where are your prayers? Are you invested in the kingdom? Have you, do you view this as an honor as a privilege from God to be a part of the greatest thing happening in the universe today, participation in the kingdom of God. And there's so much work to be done. Walk down Kirkwood Avenue. There's so much work to be done. Have some conversations with your neighbors. There's so much work to be done. Visit a homeless shelter. Go to Wheeler Mission. There's so much work to be done. Look at the state of some of the children and the families around us. There's so much work to be done if we'll just invest in the kingdom. And here's the thing. Here's what's so beautiful about Jesus. is He tells us that if we do that, if we invest ourselves, if we're selfless enough to invest ourselves in something that may not pay us back immediate returns, that there will be eternal rewards. So if you want your life to have meaning, if you want your life to have purpose, if you want to be involved in something that transcends you and transcends this life, something bigger than yourself, invest in the kingdom of God. 
In a couple of weeks, we're going to have a meeting and I'm going to start laying out different areas of the church that we're going to need help in as we work towards our goal of relaunching in 2018. We're going to need help in lots of different areas and you have gifts and you have abilities and you can contribute or you have some extra some money or you've got some extra time and you can help. And so there's going to be opportunities. I'm going to give you ample opportunity to invest your time and your talent and your resources into something bigger than yourself. So watch out in the next couple of weeks because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have jobs. And so there's not going to be any excuse for us to say, well, there was nothing for me to do. I want you at the end of your life, I want you when Jesus comes back to, be, to hear those words, well done, good servant. Well done, good servant. I promise whatever you invest now, it will never be for a loss. It will never be for a loss. It will have eternal ramifications and eternal rewards. Let me pray. Lord, when I really sit and think about it, it is awesome in the true sense of the world. It leaves me in awe that you would choose us to be your representatives here on earth. That you would entrust us with this mission and this message and this ministry. That you would believe that we could even do it. Father, we know that you've not left us alone, that you've given us the Spirit of Christ within us. But Father, help us. Help us wherever. If it needs to be in our hearts, if if we need to change our hearts, then change our hearts. Help us to look at this in a new way. If we've been looking at this as a burden, as a chore, help us to see this as a blessing, as an honor, as a privilege to be partnered with you in the greatest thing happening in the universe. Father, if we've not been doing anything, if we've been afraid, if we've had a misunderstanding about who you are, if we've viewed you as a hard, harsh master, then help us to remember that you are a good, good father and that you love us and that you're not doing this because you're mad at us, but because you you believe in us and you believe that we can do good in this world and that you want to partner with us. And for those of us who who are not doing anything, help us to do something. And for those of us who are doing something small, help us do something bigger. Help us each to take that next step of faith, wherever it may be, to trust you just a little bit more, to do just a little bit more, to invest just a little bit more, knowing that whatever we invest in you, you are going to pay us back for all of eternity. Father, help us to love you. Help us to trust you. Help us to invest in what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.